we're talking about joy this morning. This is our, our final week of Advent week four. Um, and so we're going to be looking at a, a, a text and a story in the Bible that's not really often found in Christmas sermons, but I kind of landed there as I was praying and thinking through uh, how, how to, to share uh, Christmas joy this morning, the joy of Christ's Advent. And so um, in the story of Nehemiah, to kind of shorten everything, you know, the book of Nehemiah is about 400-ish years, it's in the Hebrew Scriptures in the Old Testament, about 400-ish years before the birth of Christ, a little more than 400 years. And it's not obviously about Christmas, but it's about a holiday, a holiday that uh, in this certain part of the book of Nehemiah, at least, about a, a holiday that these people were, were entering. And so, um, you know, holiday, the word comes from holy day, in case you didn't know that. And so this was a, a special holy day, a holiday coming. It was a, um, as we look into it in, in a few minutes here, uh, scholars think maybe it was like a, um, the, the Jewish New Year celebration. It doesn't really name what the holiday was, but it was a holiday. And it was supposed to be a time of thanksgiving and, and rejoicing and, and hearing some scriptures read from the word of God. It was supposed to be, uh, you know, eating nice food and being together and, you know, some elements that we share on Christmas. But here's the backstory of, of this small portion of Nehemiah here. Um, just some decades before this time, all of God's people had returned from exile they had been kicked out of the land due to their sin and rebellion against God. They had been living as foreigners in a land that did not belong to them. And then some big empires, you know, kind of up and down and up and down and exchanged hands. And um, it landed to the, the Persians and a Persian king actually 70 years after God's people had been exiled to this land. Um, he opened up a, a pathway and even funded it to say, guys, go back to your homeland and rebuild this temple that was destroyed. Rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And so Nehemiah, some time later, came and after the temple was built, he helped um, build a wall for the city. Um, so at this time, the wall had been built, the temple had been up, and Nehemiah was kind of the governor of the land. And at the beginning of chapter 8, I won't read through it all, it's kind of lengthy, full of names that nobody can pronounce. And so um, what's happening is they're, they're standing in front of all the people that are gathered. This wall is up, the temple is there, they had come back from the land. History is, is kind of being made here. This is an important moment for God's people and then Ezra stands up and he preaches like a four-hour sermon maybe even longer all right which is every preacher's dream right he, he, he preaches like an entire morning into the afternoon there's even like many preachers going out about the crowd that are helping people understand the bible that they're being you know heard uh, read from Ezra's mouth and as this service is kind of happening, um, and they're getting ready to feast and to enjoy this holiday, suddenly among the people there's the sound of, of weeping. There's a sound of crying, the sound of grieving. These aren't happy tears, but these are tears of, of mourning. It was heard in one corner, 
heard in another. And the reality was, in this scenario that we're describing, uh, life was hard in this new land, this old land that has now fallen back into their hands. In this, this new era, life was hard. Enemies had surrounded them, and these people didn't have, you know, some kind of army or anything. They had just been back in the land just for, you know, some, a, a few decades really, not a, a strong length of time. And secondly, this temple that had been rebuilt, it was just a shadow of its former glory. You know, and yesteryear, Jerusalem was just covered in gold and the armies were mighty and there was a lot of glory that was inside of this city and this new temple. It was really nothing in comparison to what it used to be. The wall that had been built was kind of, you know, hurriedly built and had not really quite been tested yet. And so with the enemies kind of surrounding them, things were shaky uh, life was kind of question marks of the future, like how, how is this all going to go? And lastly, even hearing the scriptures read to them, because in these days, you know, the printing press wasn't there. And so what they heard of the Bible was read to them, and presumably when they were back in the other land for all those, you know, 70 years, they didn't have regular access to the Bible or, or, or limited access. So when Ezra read the scriptures aloud, a lot of times, this may have been the first time, you know, a lot of these people actually heard the words in it and they were reminded, you know, our brokenness as a people, our internal brokenness, our sin, and our, this is what led us to the disaster that has been our story in the first place. And here we are in this, you know, this, this kind of feeble attempt to be back in the land, and they were covered, they were just filled with, with grief and crying and mourning, trying to enjoy this holiday, but they were weeping. Before we, we read the second half of, of, of Nehemiah here, um, uh, I want to talk about uh, something here. Um, it, it would make sense when you hear that story, you're like, yeah, like, I kind of understand why they would be grieving, you know? It kind of makes sense. Well, I want to kind of just jump to today, because this is a sermon about, about joy, but I want to look at modern times and ask the question, you know, like, are we a happy nation right now? Yeah, there you go, right? <laughs> it doesn't take very long to uh, come up with an answer there. Um, in 2023, I don't, I don't think America can be described as a happy nation. Uh, I, I've listened to a lot of different people try to, you know, come up with ways to describe our times and, you know, words to kind of, you know, describe the era we're living in. And, and uh, uh, one person said, well, we're, we're entering into the era of outrage, of anger, when people's response to things is no longer going to be quiet, but one of, of outrage, whether keyboard warriors online or people who actually attempt to go and, you know, do something. It's, it's an era of outrage, of, of anger. I also want to throw in, it's an area of pessimism, especially for my generation. I, I think I'm a millennial or a zennial or something in between all of that, but um, pessimism just characterizes so many people and how they look at their own lives. Complaining about life is very commonplace. 
Some people would say there's so many reasons in 2023 to complain. It's difficult. Homes are expensive and income levels aren't rising to match that. Food is expensive. And, and here's, you know, I, I don't, we don't have it the same way that my parents had it. You know, they had it easy. And, and this is why my life is difficult. And maybe it could be better, but it's just so hard. And here I am. And this is so much of the kind of, you know, modern uh, conversations that go on out there. Time Magazine actually made a poll not that long ago about this very conversation. It came out that only 33% of Americans would respond with saying, I'm a happy person. That means two out of three of you walk in this morning not happy, if you will. And I want to throw out a couple of things here. The more our nation becomes secularized, the more the belief in God is, it kind of wanes this sort of trend that we're seeing is only going to increase because here's the truth. Life without God, it really ultimately means what you see is what you get. Where the meaning is beyond that other than just what happens, happens to you. People maybe try to say, well, the universe this or that it brings, you know, but all these kind of ways to find meaning, but what you see is what you get. And, and often, not often, like life or regularly, uh, things will occur in your life that will be hard, that will be difficult, what will be challenging, that will go against your uh, own expectations of what you wish, how things could be. There'll be always be reasons to be, to be, you know, quote unquote, unhappy, I mean, I was just sharing yesterday, I, somebody this morning, yesterday I made a, a very expensive mistake in my house, and I was just beating myself up last night, and you know, all those kind of things happen in our lives, right? And you can just sit there and, and have many reasons to find happiness elusive, but I'm not preaching about happiness. I'm not preaching about happiness this morning. Happiness is like, whoop, it can go up and it can go down Christianity has a secret. G.K. Chesterton, a, a, an early writer from the 1900s, he says one of the greatest secrets of Christianity is joy. One of the greatest secrets of Christianity is joy because there's something superior than just happiness. Our commercials and our media and the way that we you know everything is oriented is just, it's all about the feeling, all about the emotion, all about the happiness. And I think they're just feeding into the pessimism because as we all know, this, those things aren't reality. Happiness is so fleeting. My emotions change so much. You're appealing to my emotions, but there's, it doesn't work. Life, is there something else available? And, and as we become followers of Jesus, we learn of something called joy that is far superior something that is always available, that is not even dependent on the things that are happening in your life. We're going to break this down the rest of our time because Nehemiah, as we read this now from chapter 8, he, um, who was a governor at the time, he, he hears the mourning, he hears the grieving. And again, this is a holiday, it's supposed to be a happy time, and he hears crying. Their situation is a little hard. Here's what he says, beginning in verse 9 in chapter 8. Should be in the screen behind me here. And Nehemiah, who was a governor, Ezra the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. 
And then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to the Lord. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. I'll, just, I'll skip the main verse. Let me start over verse 10. Go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing to, has nothing ready. Here's the key verse. For this day is holy to the Lord and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet, this day is holy, do not be grieved. In verse 12, and all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. So in a way, Nehemiah is like, whoa, 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 hey, guys, like, this is a happy day. You're crying. Let's, let's pause here. Did you know that right now the joy of the Lord can be your strength? He's, he's almost acknowledging that they need strength. He's kind of acknowledging, saying, I know this is not, this, our scenario is kind of hard here. I understand the, the, the mourning, like you're, you're being convicted even just of your own shortcomings in your life and the scriptures, but I'm here to tell you the joy of the Lord even now in the midst of this can be your strength. Now that's a great Christian like bumper sticker, right? We probably have a coffee mug, some of you maybe in your, in your house that has that verse on it. Maybe a t-shirt, you know. Um, the joy of the Lord is your strength. There's a lot of songs that we sing on Sunday morning that has, you know, kind of allusions to that phrase, right? But you ever, like, if you've been in church for some time, maybe you're new here, I don't know, but there's some phrases that we hear often that come from the Bible that we're just so familiar with that we hear and we're like, oh yeah, joy of the Lord is your strength, okay. Like, stop for a minute, okay? Whose joy, the joy of God, okay, so it's not yours, is what Nehemiah is saying. This joy isn't yours. It doesn't come initially from you. Like, it's not coming out of you. It's, this is coming from God, this joy. But it's available to you. To have is yours. And what it can do is provide strength for you. I don't know if you've ever thought about this phrase, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Number one, some questions I had as I was working through this is, well, how do you get that joy from God in the first place? Like, how, how do I share in that? How does that work? And, and how does strength come from it? And secondly, like, their situation and circumstances didn't change, but suddenly they found themselves rejoicing, even when those things were still happening around them. How, how do we understand all of these things? Well, I think the first way to begin to understand this as uh, you look in the rest of the scriptures is... Um, the highest kind of form of joy in, in the scriptures, I think, um, it really comes out of that verse we read at the beginning of our sermon in uh, time, our service together in Psalm 16. And this is uh, David, King David, reflecting on God, reflecting, I'm sure, like on his own time of just, of worship, of being in the temple and just, or being around the temple and just, uh, uh, embracing the presence of God as it is available to him. And this is how he describes this in verse 11 in Psalm 16. He says, you make known to me the path of life. Like action, present. He's, work, he's, he's revealing the path of life to him. 
In your presence, speaking to God, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You know, this is written not in English, in Hebrew, and there's so many different nuances and things to, you know, to get one language into another. And one of my favorite Old Testament scholars, John Goldingay, um, he, he translated this. He says, you will make known to me the way of life. And he says, joyful abundance will be with your face. And that's the literal kind of word there is the face of God. Joyful abundance will be with your face. Lovely things in your right hand always. Joyful abundance will be with the face of God. If you see the face of God, you're with God and joyful abundance is there. Lovely things in his right hand. Now, King David wasn't talking about, you know, a future joy that when he dies and he goes to heaven, he's with God. Okay, maybe there's some of that longing and looking towards, okay? He seems to be speaking rather of a present experience, like a present reality that says, God, like I've experienced this kind of joy. Like I've had moments when I've, I, I've had this, this fullness of joy in the very presence of God, because God is making known to me right now these things. These kind of scriptures are peppered throughout the Bible. And there are Nehemiah passages that are in the temple precincts as a temple which in the Old Testament times it kind of symbolized the very presence of God, even though it didn't contain all of his presence. For these ancient peoples, it was the way that God communicated himself and his presence to them in this temple. And so as they're weeping for their own sin and sorrow of their own shortcomings and just the realities, you know, you can imagine kind of being in this complex, the walls are up and there's the temple and Nehemiah saying, guys, like, are, are you aware that, that God is here? Like, I know this is crazy around us. Like, things may be looking a little dark and, and a little sketchy out there, but I'm here to tell you that God is with us and his joy can strengthen you right now. This is a holiday. So enjoy good food. Be strengthened with the joy of God. Because really joy flows from the presence of God. And, and I want to kind of try to, try, to, try to break that down. In the midst of this hard situation, joy was available to him. And this is all, you know, a, a, this is a Christmas sermon. And so uh, on that first Christmas morning, we, you know, tra- let's go forward about 400-ish years in the birth of Christ. And um, even as the name of our church points toward it, it's based off of, you know, the way Isaiah, when he prophesied about Christ's coming, he said that he will be called God with us. And when we think of the, what the, the, you know, we call the incarnation, that, that fancy word that means God became flesh. When we look at that first Christmas morning, we get to say God was with us, even in a greater way than a temple that he was with, with the ancient Israelites, which was, you know, his presence was there. But he, he actually took on flesh and bones, and he, and he entered into human history that we may say, God, with Jesus' name, God with us. And indeed, he did come, but what's even more interesting about this presence of God and the joy that comes for it, you know, what are some of the last words in our Bible? 
It's this. Come, Lord Jesus. It even ends with still a notion of longing, right, for this presence of God. He was with us. Jesus indeed was with us. Um, but it's, it's been noted long th- with men and women throughout church history as they, you know, uh, just develop a, an, an intimacy with knowing God and a, and a, a closeness with him. That more often than not, his presence in our life is something that can be really quiet. Now, sometimes we have experiences like big moments where you're just like, you feel overwhelmed by the love of God and it's, it's there. But sometimes day in and day out when you wake up in the morning and you have those mundane kind of just events that happen throughout your life, that his presence can be kind of a, a quiet reality that if you're not paying attention to, you can miss, and one of my favorite books to talk about it often is this, you know, from Brother Lawrence that says, you know, practicing the presence of God. Like, to be aware of his presence kind of takes practice. It takes stopping and learning to listen and to be aware of where and when, you know, he, uh, not when, because he's always with us, but how he is with us and what he is doing around you and how he is moving. Jesus kind of talked about the work of the Spirit in this kind of way, in John chapter 3, when, he was, when Jesus was speaking with Nicodemus about this idea of a rebirth, right, that you must be born again, he says in verse 7 of John chapter 3 to Nicodemus, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and the word wind in scripture is kind of the same word for spirit. They're, they're, they're kind of one of the same and really related, and so the wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes, so it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. If you ever outside and it's kind of a gently windy day, you may not even notice the wind unless you kind of stop and realize like, oh, it's, there's a little breeze. Like, what direction is it coming from? And if you're not paying attention, you can miss that. That soft wind that hits your face. This is why Jesus describes even the work of the Spirit, right? You hear it sound, it's soft, and if you're not paying attention, it's kind of hard to figure out where it's coming from. But because his first coming, as we talk about the presence of God, his first coming was just kind of just the beginning of God's new work in this world, his new work of salvation in this world. His presence entered. Jesus died. He was crucified. But he didn't stay dead. He, he conquered death. And when we think of the cross, I want you to think of just all the sufferings and hard and hardships and just all the, the, the darkness that is in this world. Think of our, our ancient Israelites in the time of Nehemiah, surrounded by enemies and just kind of shaky with the feet. All the hard things in this world to think of the cross. Jesus, he, he, he bore our sins, but also took on the very curse of this world. And when he conquered these things, when he conquered them by his, his resurrection, he ascended to heaven, and then he unleashed his, his spirit into this world that fills each and every follower of Jesus. But still, as we receive his spirit and he is making us new and he works in our life, we look around to the world and we say, like, not everything is made right, though. And we find ourselves, you know, when when he works in our life, we're we're so thrilled and so filled with joy when we're aware of how what he does in our life, but we still look around and we realize there's, 
there's still a, a world that is still kind of full of darkness here. Is he going to come and fix that one day? Is he going to return, as he said, uh, as the Bible ends, come Lord Jesus? Is he going to return one day to make all things new? Because right now it's not quite there, right? Um, and this is where joy comes about. Because I learned something this week as I prayed for this. The nature of joy is kind of wrapped up, really hope is, it's, it's like a, you know, it comes out of hope. But I think the, a, a way to, to really describe this comes from C.S. Lewis. Um, we need to understand joy is really coming from our hope and longings. That's what I mean by that. Listen, C.S. Lewis in his, in his, C.S. Lewis in his book, Surprised by Joy, it's kind of like a, a, a testimony of sorts from his own conversion to Christianity, from atheism. Um, he, uh, this is what he said. He was reflecting on when he was a child and his mother passed. She was very young. And he was reflecting on just the devastating reality of losing his, his mother when he was so young. He says this. He said, joy is distinct, not only from pleasure, but in, in general, but even from aesthetic pleasure. And he says this, joy must have the stab, the pain, the inconsolable longing. Joy must have the stab, the pain, the inconsolable longing. Joy is longing kind of how the Bible ends. Come, Lord Jesus. We rejoice knowing that he is coming, and we rejoice as we long for his coming to make all things new. Is that not what joy was available for these Israelites, who they stood in that difficult circumstance? That Nehemiah says, the, the joy of, he's with us, his joy can be yours, it's going to strengthen you. And thus their joy, it didn't change their circumstance, but it was turned into a longing, and that's when they found that God was with them. That even if their expectations of what it means that God was with them, maybe that didn't quite match up, I'm not sure, but when they realize God is with us, he has not abandoned us, even if things look difficult, I'm going to find strength in that and respond, and then they found their holiday, and they rejoiced. I think they were longing for all those hard things in their life, those realities to one day just be gone. And indeed, the Bible ends kind of, you know, and we'll read this in a minute, about how when he does return, no more tears, no more crying, no more pain. It says the former things have passed away, even death itself. And thus, in our longing for God to make all things right, we can find this strength. You know, Paul, it's, it's him who wrote, Rejoice! Again, I say, rejoice. Rejoice always, continually. And he was writing this from a prison cell, you know? A cold, hard Roman prison cell. Rejoice! It's like, okay, Paul. Like, tell me more, right? Tell me more. Um, uh, William Wordsworth, he's a, a famous uh, British poet. He, Lewis's book was kind of based off of the title. He wrote a poem called Surprised by Joy. And he was writing about a moment. It's a very beautiful and gut-wrenching poem. 
the first line is surprised by joy, right? Because he's writing about this, this moment he had where joy just was like infused to him and it just was almost shocking. He was surprised by what he felt and his, his reaction was just to share it with somebody who was next to him. But in the context of him writing this, he was just grieving the loss of his daughter who was not even four years old. And he was surprised because he was in a state of mourning and devastation. And he was shocked that such joy could just enter his life. And then he said, the very person I wanted to share my joy with was a person whom I was grieving their loss. And then I circled back into my grieving. But something about that poem that's so uh, powerful is that even in such dark moments, we can be surprised by joy. That our circumstances does not ever rob us from the joy as Christians to move this towards Jesus, that joy is available for us because God is with us, because God is still working in your life, and we know that he is going to return to make all things new. Um, so I want to go to the Christmas story now, Luke chapter 2. And, uh, and kind of literally look at this, right? Because, you know, you have the Christ child was born in Bethlehem, and you have in the same area, same region, says Luke, there were some shepherds that were just doing their normal work. It was a night watch and making sure that, you know, their, their sheep were okay, and they were hanging out in the field. And suddenly, angels appear, well, an angel initially. And he appears and he says to these shepherds, he says, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of what? Great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. That's from Luke 2, verses 10 through 12. So what is this good news? That's the word gospel. What is this gospel, this good news of great joy for everyone? Like for all people, for everyone. What is it? It was a baby in a feeding trough in a manger. Now, I've had six babies in my house. Um, babies are amazing. They're, they're, they, they, you know, you, you feel deeply connected to them. But, you know, it takes some time for babies to, you know, talk to you or you can have a conversation. I remember my firstborn, I was thinking after the six months, I'm like, is it like, is this, is this it? Like, when can I like have like a little buddy, you know? Like, he's still kind of just crying all day. Like, when is that day coming? You know, it, it came, right? Now he's taller than me and, you know, the day came. It just felt like it took a while, you know? Like, humans are the slowest kind of, one of the slowest species to develop when it comes to baby becoming an adult. Now, you can imagine, you know, the, this angel says there's, there's a great joy for all the people. And maybe you would assume like, a great king has just entered the country. And, you know, in the context of Mary and Joseph, like, they were also beneath an oppressive empire. Days were dark and the future was not really, you know, certain. And there was a lot of longing for God to do something. You would have hoped maybe that some great king had shown up with a great army that was going to overthrow the oppression and bring in this, this, this era of just flourishing. But rather they're told that the good news was a baby. And there's the nature of joy is 
really wrapped up in this, right? Because um, the, uh, the, the angels, or the, the, the shepherds went, you know, and, they, and they, they, they saw this baby. They didn't see a king, they saw a baby, and they left, and the baby was still there. It was still a baby. Jesus was still lying there. Nothing had happened yet. Like, no, he didn't do any work yet. He hadn't preached or taught or nothing. He's still lying there, but still they left with great joy. In a way, it was a joy of longing that this child just might be the Savior of all. But it took some time before Jesus grew. But they walked away with joy. And there's kind of the nature of joy, full of insatiable longing, inconsolable longing, says C.S. Lewis. Now, Jesus did grow. Um, uh, Many continue to say a lot of hopeful things as he grew into an adult. He began his ministry some 30 years after that first Christmas. He preached a message, and his message was um, found in the Gospel of Mark. He says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the good news, there's that word again, of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent, turn, and believe in the gospel. So what did he do? He was healing people. He was driving demons out of people. He was bringing life to people who died. He preached a message of love for our enemies, grace available for the prostitutes and the worst among them. Effectively, through Jesus, a, both his, his message and his acts were like what was happening in heaven was breaking into this world through this man. And after his death and resurrection, he returned to heaven. And then the kingdom came down to earth that morning on Pentecost when his spirit came upon all who believed in him and received the very presence of God. But still, even as followers of Christ, we have his spirit and the Bible still ends with, come Lord Jesus. Because all of his work in our life, his presence, his power, his hope, it is still but a glimpse of the total complete work that he will do in this world when he returns. And now I want to read that vision of his return that came from the Apostle John, recorded in Revelation 21. I'm going to read through this. Let's listen to this together. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. The sea always represented chaos. So chaos, it was out of this world. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Like it was actually fully happening. Not just a glimpse through Jesus, not just a glimpse through the church of heavenly realities, but the whole thing is coming down to meet earth prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. The presence of God. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. 
We're left once again to, to think about those early Israelites beneath Nehemiah that were mourning, they were crying, feeling the pain of their realities. And this passage says one day all that's going to be gone. Maybe you're here this morning and Christmas is, is hard, right? And your eyes usually get those tears because there's an empty chair at Christmas dinner or there's just, uh, there's, there's pain that comes with this holiday each and every year. Maybe it's a new pain this year. Maybe it's an old one that resurfaces every year. And the hope, the joy that we find, the strength that comes from God's joy that says we hope and we long for the day when these things are gone. And we still preach the message of that good news even now that it's coming And in the present, Jesus himself can bring healing to us. He can make you new inside to face these hard things. And that's ultimately what we are left with this morning. Like the angels leaving that first Christmas morning with their joyful, uh, uh, the, the shepherds leaving that first Christmas morning with their joyful longings of hope just wrapped up in a baby. We look at the manger again this morning. And there are joy is still wrapped up in that manger that comes from the hope that Jesus is returning to make all things new. But as we wait, the joy comes at knowing that his love for us, that nothing can separate you from his love, that there's nothing that can occur hard, difficult, no, no sin or shortcoming like those ancient Israelites were crying. None of those things can separate you from the love of God. Romans 8, verses 38 through 39 says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, and nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm going to call our worship team up at this time. Regardless of any of your circumstances this morning, regardless of what has happened to you or what you're carrying into this holiday, the word for you and I is still that same word that Nehemiah shared to those struggling Israelites. The joy of the Lord can be your strength. Because he's with us. Christ's love for you cannot be disrupted. And as we celebrate the coming of Christ, we still long for a second coming when all will be made right. So I want to read those last words of Nehemiah once again. Because tomorrow's a holiday, friends. We're probably all going to have some kind of special meal, some kind of feasting going on. So Nehemiah, I want to read these words to you. Go your way. Eat the fat. Drink the sweet wine. Send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For tomorrow is holy unto the Lord. But don't be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Let me pray. Lord, in the moment we're about to sing a really joyful song. And Lord, I pray that your joy could just enter this room, Lord. Because it's it's here, Lord. Your presence is here and your joy is here. 
Would you infuse strength amongst your people this morning through your joy? Lord, open up our hearts to your joy. Remove pessimism, remove complaining spirits, remove all those things, Lord, for those who are just really struggling this, this Christmas. Lord, even in their mourning, Lord, may they know that you are with them and may your, the, the joy that comes from you just be infused into their life that they can enter Christmas morning with joy, Lord. Thank you that you do not leave us. Thank you that you do not forsake us. That is a promise that we cling to and that we know, Lord. I pray for anyone in this room who may be here and just really super skeptical about this whole Christianity thing. Lord, would you soften hearts this morning? Would you open hearts this morning? Whatever pain that may be present in their life, Lord, would you just make known now, Lord, your healing work of salvation that can come from knowing you. We thank you, Jesus, that you took our sin, you died for it, and Lord, that you conquered death and you rose. And we celebrate you. We celebrate your coming. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.